Well, before we begin looking at God's Word this morning, I wanted to just get us prepared for this Christmas Advent season. And if you're anything like me, I am notorious for waiting to the last minute to get Christmas presents, uh, to get birthday presents, to get Valentine's Day cards and flowers. I distinctly remember last year, I waited, I kid you not, and I hate to admit this, and I'm not going to do this again, but I waited till the morning of Valentine's Day uh, to get my wife flowers, and when I went to Ingalls to get her flowers, I saw about 50 other men scrambling to get flowers, and then I, I went with 10 other guys over to the card section, and I realized that there were only about three cards left out of a section of about 75 different card options. But because we waited till the last minute, me and 50 to 10 to 50 other men were scrambling a last minute to, to get these cards and flowers for our wives. And again, I think I learned my lesson not to do that again. But I'm notorious for waiting till the last minute for Christmas presents, uh, for Valentine's Day, birthday parties, etc. And if you're like me, you may wait till the last minute as well. But here's the thing, I shouldn't wait till last minute because these things are important. But I'm too busy living in the here and now that I oftentimes forget about the important things to plan for. That's why we're starting this Advent sermon series a few days after Thanksgiving uh, and four weeks before Christmas because we want to prepare you for Christmas. We don't want you to wait till Christmas Eve and start thinking about the birth of Christ. We want you to think about it right now as you begin to prepare for Christmas in this Advent season. So that's why we're going to take the next five sermons and look through the Gospel of Luke. Now Luke, he was a physician and a historian, and so there's a lot of detail that he gives us about the birth of Jesus Christ throughout his Gospel. More detail is found in Luke than it is in Matthew and any other book of the Bible about the birth of Jesus. So we're going to look at each text, each passage that reflects on the birth of Jesus Christ. So look with me now in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. This is God's holy word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end." And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, just as Luke has given us a lot of detail in his 
gospel account of the birth of Jesus. I'm going to give us a lot of detail this morning about these verses. And we're going to see six different things things throughout this text this morning. The first thing that that uh, we, we start by seeing is verse 26 is a supernatural revelation. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Uh, for us to really be prepared for Christmas this year, uh, I want us to see the wonder of the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. I want us to see the supernatural things that took place around his birth. And when you think about the supernatural things, you think about angels, you think about dreams, you think about visions, you think about prophecies that were fulfilled. There are many different things that are supernatural that revolve around the the life and birth of Jesus Christ. But what we'll see here are angels, and angels are all over the birth narrative of Jesus. We think about Gabriel, how he appeared to Mary in this text. We think about how an angel appeared to Joseph. We also think about a multitude of angels appearing to shepherds, and we're going to study that in a couple weeks. But this morning, we're going to emphasize that of Gabriel and how God sent Gabriel to deliver good news, good tidings of great joy uh, to Mary and to the world even today. Now, Gabriel played a significant part in the birth of Jesus, but before he came to Mary, we know of two other times that he appeared to two different people before Mary. 600 years before he came to Mary, he came to the prophet Daniel. And Daniel was living in a time where God's people were away from their homeland. They were in Babylon, and Daniel was in deep distress because he wanted God's people to come back uh, to Jerusalem, to their homeland. And, and so he was, he was just praying that God would bring them back from, from exile and captivity back home to their homeland. Well, fortunately, God sent Gabriel, the angel that he sent to Mary, to Daniel 600 years before uh, he came to Mary, And Gabriel gave these words to Daniel. He said, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. What Daniel was referring to here was, or what Gabriel was referring to here, he was telling Daniel that in just a short time, God's people would be restored to their homeland And then a time after that, an anointed one, the prince, the king of all kings, would then come and deliver his people from their sin and from their captivity. He was referring to that of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This was the same Gabriel that came to Mary 600 years later. Now, what we know about angels is that angels are messengers from God. We also know that angels are to serve and to minister to God's people. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 tells us, are not all angels spirits to serve those who will inherit salvation? What the author of Hebrews was getting at was angels were made by God to to serve and to minister to his people, those who will inherit salvation. So Gabriel specifically served and ministered to Daniel who was in deep distress And then a second time he appears 600 years later to a priest, Zechariah, earlier in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah was married to an older woman named Elizabeth. And Gabriel came to deliver another good news, this time to Zechariah. And he said, Zechariah, I have good news. 
your wife Elizabeth will give birth to a baby boy. His name will be John, and John will prepare God's people for a future Messiah. Now, Zechariah, he said these words, how can I be sure of this, Gabriel? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And Gabriel said to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. The very fact that Gabriel stood in the presence of God revealed his greatness and that he should be believed. So when Gabriel said to Zechariah, he said, Zechariah, your wife of old age will give birth to a baby boy. And he's like, well, how is this true? My wife is really old. I I can't imagine her giving birth to a baby. And he said, I'm Gabriel. I'm in the presence of God. Believe me. And Zechariah believed him after that. But then we see Gabriel once again coming to, this time, a young virgin girl. Many scholars would say she was 14 years old. And this time, Gabriel appeared to Mary, a 14-year-old teenager, telling her another good news, that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. This was a supernatural revelation. God gave us a supernatural revealer in Gabriel uh, to give us good news about the Messiah. And one thing I want us to understand as we prepare our hearts for Christmas is that the supernatural is all over this story, right? And angels are all over the story. And the reason I I, I brought in Daniel was not only do we see supernatural revelation revealed from, from prophecy fulfilled, but we also realize that Gabriel is immortal, He was there 600 years before he came to Mary, and Gabriel is here living today. I say that because angels are immortal, and they're called to serve and to minister to God's people. Why does that matter to you and me? Well, it matters to you and me because whenever you face a time in your life where you're afraid, or you're filled with anxiety, or worry, or fear, I want to remind you that God has a multitude of angels who are there to minister to you, to protect you, to be there for and with you as you struggle with your fear or worry or anxiety. We have angels all around us, and they're for our benefit and for the glory of God. Let us not lose sight in that most important thing. So again, angels were in the days of Mary, and angels are in our day today. The first thing we see in this text is a supernatural revelation. The second thing that we see here is a simple recipient, verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. What's interesting here is that God sent Gabriel to a simple recipient, Mary, in a simple town of Nazareth. I like what Kent Hughes said about this. He said that God sent Gabriel to a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Nazareth, it only had, archaeologists would say, it only had about 200 Jews that lived within its confines. And these Jewish people were mainly farmers. Now, Mary and Joseph were exceptions because he was a carpenter, but there were roughly 200 Jewish people in this small town of Nazareth. Not only were there only 200 Jews, but there was also a Roman battalion that uh, took over the town 
and it was filled with Roman soldiers. And a lot of times, these Roman soldiers would get into things that they shouldn't be getting into because they didn't have a lot to do on their jobs, and so they had a lot of idle time. So unfortunately, this town of Nazareth was known as an, as an immoral town. Uh, there was a lot of promiscuity in this town. But yet, God chose to send Gabriel to this insignificant town of Nazareth. But not only did he choose this insignificant town of Nazareth to raise up the Messiah who was there for 30 years of his life. Jesus was in Nazareth for 30 years of his life. But we also know that God chose a simple recipient in that of Mary. Again, I'm saying Mary was probably 14 years old. Some even said as young as 12. But what's interesting about Mary is is that God didn't send Gabriel to Jerusalem or to a, a mega city that you would expect him uh, to, to, to go to. He, he, didn't, he didn't go to a princess like we would expect or, or some woman who was well-renowned or, or popular or well-respected. He came to a, a person who was insignificant, a teenager that nobody knew of, nobody knew about. I like what Martin Luther said about Mary. He said, God might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas's daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold-embroidered raiment, and attended by a retinue of maids and waiting, but God preferred a lowly maid from a small town. You know, if, if you and I were God in the situation, we probably would have said, okay, Jesus needs to come from Jerusalem and be born from Caiaphas's daughter, someone of great significance. But God doesn't think like you and me. God wanted to shake things up, and he had a plan that a virgin, a young girl by the name of Mary, would be the mother of the Messiah. And what this tells me is that God chooses to exalt the humble, and he chooses to humble the exalted. Matthew 23, 12 tells us, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. A second thing I want us to remember is not only are angels here for us today, but I also want us to know that Christmas is not for the proud and the self-sufficient. Christmas is for the humble. Christmas is for the humble. God's choice of Mary was not because of her own inherent and unique worthiness, much less her sinless perfection, because she wasn't perfect. His choice of Mary is a display of how he exalts the humble. That's what God chooses to do. He chooses to exalt the humble. So I want us to be reminded that Christmas is for the humble and not for the proud and the self-sufficient. We, like Mary, should be simple recipients of God's grace. The third detail that we see in this account is we see a stressful reaction from Mary to Gabriel's words. Verse 28, Gabriel came to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was great, greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You know, what's interesting here is I used to think that Mary was troubled and stressed out because an angel of God appeared to her. After all, I bet you and I would be really stressed out if all of a sudden there was an angel that appeared on the stage or platform. We would all be just blown away, right? 
Well, I'm sure that was part of why Mary was troubled, but that's not what the text tells us. What the text tells us is that Mary was greatly troubled at the saying, at the saying of Gabriel and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was stressed out because of what he told her, not because of his presence. So what did Gabriel tell her? Gabriel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then he went on to say, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What he was saying to her is, you're highly favored. You have found favor with God. So Mary's scratching her head and she's saying, wait, 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 I'm troubled by this because I'm nothing. I'm just a simple teenage girl going about my life and I'm about to marry a poor carpenter, probably have a bunch of kids and live in this insignificant town for the rest of my life. Who are you calling me a favored one? I'm really troubled by these, by these words and this saying. Well, the very fact that Mary was troubled by these words revealed to us that she was just a person like you and me. She should not be elevated to the status of that as Jesus. And unfortunately, many Roman Catholics today would elevate Mary to the same status as that of Jesus Christ. That should never be. Because look at her reaction. She's troubled by the words. She's stressed out by it because she knows that she's insignificant. And that she is just a recipient of the grace of God. But yet many Roman Catholics today, they would use this verse and they would say, this is where we get the term full of grace. That's why when they pray to Mary, they say, hail Mary full of grace. It comes from verse 28, what I just read to us. And many Catholics would take this out of context and they would say, we need to pray to Mary just as we pray to Jesus because... She has been given a special grace from God, and she can dispense that grace to you and to me. She can be a grace dispenser in the sense of as we pray to Mary, she can then give us grace. Can Mary give us grace? No. Only Jesus can. But unfortunately, many Roman Catholics, even today, would say that Mary had every gift, not only spiritual but secular, even above those given to angels. And this gave rise to the idea that we should pray to her and say, Hail Mary, full of grace. But when you study the Greek, and when you study this text, you'll see that the Greek term is a perfect passive verb, which means that she was the recipient of an action completed by someone else. She received something from someone, someone else. In this case, the verb is a divine passive, which indirectly gives God the credit for giving grace to Mary. Mary was full of grace simply because she had received undeserved, unmerited favor from God. She wasn't perfect. She was a sinner like you and me. But God, (laughs) he showed her his grace And she received his undeserved, unmerited favor from him. So when we say Mary was favored by God, that's what we mean. That she was favored in that way and that she received the grace of God. So we are to pray to Jesus and not to Mary. That's the third point and takeaway I want us to remember. That yeah, Mary responded well and humbly, which we'll talk about at the end. But at the end of the day, she was a sinner saved by grace, just like you and like me. As we go on to the text, we we then go on and we see here 
in verses, in verses uh, 34 through 37, that Mary ended up saying to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What we see next is we see a, we see a sovereign ruler here. A sovereign ruler is the Most High God. And the Holy Spirit would, would bring about the sovereign ruler in her life. We also see this in verses 31 through 33 when Gabriel said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What we see here is we see a sovereign ruler and you can't think of a higher term to speak of God than when, when Gabriel said, he is the son of the most high. He is the son of the most high. We see this in verse 32. And this term reveals how we are to exalt Jesus. We are to adore Jesus. Mary was highly favored because she received the favor of God. But yet Jesus is the one who is highly exalted. So we don't need to exalt Mary in a place that she should not be exalted to. We need to exalt Jesus because he is indeed our sovereign ruler. And he is the sovereign ruler whose kingdom will never end. Once again, we see right here another fulfilled prophecy about the Messiah. Hundreds of years before, God came, he came to King David and he said, David, in your line will come a king who will reign forever. God made a promise to David that one day a Messiah would come from his line and would reign and rule forever. Well, now we see Jesus, the sovereign ruler, is here. And that fulfilled prophecy came about, and Jesus was to come from the throne of David, the line of David, which we know Joseph was from that lineage, and he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom would have no end. This tells us that as Christians, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, we need to prepare our hearts for Jesus. Make room in our hearts for him. Because after all, he is the sovereign ruler. I like what 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Only one mediator between us and God, and it's Jesus Christ. It's no other saint, not Mary, but Jesus alone. Now, you may be like me when you think about Christmas. You think about Christmas carols. You think about Christmas hymns. One of my favorite carols as a kid was, what child is this? But I remember as a kid, I would scratch my head and I would say, what child is this? Well, we all know the answer. The answer is Jesus, of course. It's kind of like that Sunday school answer when you're in uh, elementary school or Sunday school. And, and if you don't know the answer, you say Jesus. And most of the time you're right because you guessed it correctly. Well, in the same way, I thought about what child is this. Well, that's obvious. We know the answer to that question. It's Jesus. But then as I got older, I realized that questions aren't just for solving problems, and questions aren't just for requesting new information. Sometimes questions make a point. That's why we have rhetorical questions, where you ask a question out loud, but everybody kind of knows the answer. Also, questions can, can be in the form of uh, of expressing awe and wonder about something that we know to be true. So we may, we may respond with something of, of great amazement, 
by asking a question. I'll give you an example. When Jesus was on the boat and there was a, a big storm and he's sleeping and his disciples are saying, our boat is tossing and turning and, and we don't know what to do, Jesus, wake up, we need you to help us. And Jesus wakes up from this big nap. What does he do? He calmed the storm. And what did the disciples say? But they, they asked the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see how they were asking a question out of amazement? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In the same way, we see the song, What Child Is This?, is more of a question designed for our wonder and our amazement. Why do I bring this up? Because Christmas is about the sovereign ruler that we are to be amazed at. What child is this? Let's look at some of the lyrics. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King who shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Our sovereign ruler is Jesus Christ. What child is this? We know the answer because we're in awe of him, a sovereign ruler. The fifth thing that we see in this text is a sensational reality. I read it a few verses earlier, but Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with, whom, or with her who has called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. What I love about this is Gabriel is giving a sensational reality, a truthful statement that there will be a Savior born of a virgin. We know this is another prophecy fulfilled, but Mary asks the obvious question that you and I would ask if we were Mary, how will this be since I'm a virgin? What's going on here? Well, Gabriel went on to say, with God, everything is possible. God can do the impossible. He can even uh, create a something out of nothing, just as he did in Genesis 1, but he also can create a Y chromosome within Mary, and that's exactly what he did. Now, notice how the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. I wanted you to think about overshadowing and how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters and he created the world out of nothing. In the same way, the Holy Spirit hovered over Mary and he created a Y chromosome within her. So I want you to think about in the beginning when God created the world, the Spirit hovered over the waters, overpowered the waters and created this world. And I also want you to think about how the Spirit of God created this Y chromosome in Mary. What we see here is a sensational reality of a consistent miracle of Jesus. And throughout his life, we see that Jesus, he raised people from the dead. He healed the sick. He healed the paralyzed. He healed the, the blind, the mute, the lame. What else did Jesus do? He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. So, the virgin birth is also consistent with the entire life of Jesus in that it points to a miracle, something of great sensation, a supernatural event. So again, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, we need to be reminded of the supernatural of this. It should blow us all away. But this is the reality that with God, all things are possible. So even in your own life, you might think, well, this is impossible. 
with God, all things are possible. You gotta remember that. And that's how Mary had to, had to respond. And at the end, we see how she responded in verse 38. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Right here, Mary responded to the supernatural, sensational news that Gabriel gave her that she would become the mother of God because she was a recipient of the grace of God. And what did she do? She humbled herself and she was a servant. The word servant is bond slave and it really means that she would willingly commit herself to the unconditional service of the Lord. I bring this up because Mary was about to just live her life in a small town and she was going to marry this carpenter and she would probably have a bunch of kids and live a pretty, pretty interesting life, not really that of great significance. But God had other plans in mind for Mary. He was gonna use her in a mighty way. And she submitted to those plans. She, she made a, a big course correction, but she ended up going into a different direction. But she willingly humbled herself, risking her reputation, even maybe risking her life. Because after all, if, if a woman was found having an adultery or an affair while they were married or even betrothed, then they could even be publicly shamed and humiliated or stoned to death. Mary knew the ramifications of this, but she also knew the Lord. And she trusted in the Lord and she humbled herself before the Lord. And she willingly accepted the new plan for her life. My question to you is, as we finish this morning, I want you to think about your own life. And what is God calling you to do? Who is God calling you to be? It may be completely different than the the course of your life so far. You may be called to take a risk right now, a healthy risk for his glory and for your good. If that is you, I would challenge you and encourage you to do what Mary did and humble yourself before an almighty God and willingly submit to his plan wherever he leads you. So if God is pressing on your heart to do something for him that is different, follow that plan, follow that prompting, follow that call. Because after all, just like Mary humbly submitted herself and had a a service-minded submission, uh, you and I need to do the same. And so again, as we think about all these things, there's a lot of detail here in in the gospel account of Luke. I want you to prepare your hearts for Christmas, for Jesus. Because after all, we're about a month away, and I hope by December 25th, you'll say, I'm pretty prepared to be in awe and in wonder of this great Messiah.